A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Checking into the game for the Bulls. He's back. Number 23, Michael Jordan. I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. (laughs) I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away, Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB86, celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls' 1986 NBA season. And now your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome back to another episode of NB86. We're up to episode 12 in our series G'day, Aaron. Thanks again for being a part of the show, mate. How are you this fine afternoon in Australia? Good, mate. Could you believe it that there is a 30-episode, 22 <laughs> hours worth of content series called NB85, which breaks down Michael Jordan's rookie season game by game. Actually, it even starts well before his rookie season starts at the end of his last season with North Carolina, runs all the way through to the Bulls playoff run in 1985. Can you believe it? A sensational series, even if we do say so ourselves. What a ripper. It'll be remiss of me not to say shameless self-promotion time already, 30 seconds in, in com slash NB85, and that'll get you to the series page. 30 episodes, over 20 hours, good stuff. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. NBA News, Notes and Quotes, March 9th through 23rd, 1986. With the possibility of the Bulls being a part of the upcoming second ever draft lottery, Indiana Pacers scout Tommy Newell felt Jerry Krause should check out Loyola Marymount's Keith Smith, who Newell felt was the best point guard in college. And I quote, he's 6'4 and plays like Tiny Archibald, said Newell. Okay. Nate Tiny Archibald 2.0 would go on to play a total of 22 games for the Milwaukee Bucks in the 86-87 season as the 45th pick in the NBA draft and is currently a head coach for Hamadi High School's Lady Hawk basketball team. Hello to any of the alum from the Lady Hawk basketball team if you're listening. Um, Anytime someone gets billed as the next insert star here (laughs) inevitably it will come to fail um harold minor never had a chance let's be honest i think someone once said that there is no next they did and that person is a previous guest on our show mate (laughs) great sam smith episode seven i believe of nb85 now on the same day the chicago tribune had a great feature titled mozart of basketball and referring to European scoring machine Drazen Petrovic and his dream to make the NBA. Look no further than a great mate of ours, Todd Spear, for the definitive biography of the late Drazen Petrovic, titled The Mozart of Basketball, The Remarkable Life and Legacy of Drazen Petrovic. Awesome stuff there from one Todd Spear. As featured on the starters on NBA TV, Adam. He was indeed. And 
I'll find that clip and I'll put that in our show notes, mate, for this episode, which can be found at inolanus.com slash NB86-12. On the same day as well, New York at Chicago in front of just 9,736 saw the Bulls defeat the Knicks 114-101 to 101, and Chicago's record was 22-43 and 43 at the time. For the Bulls, Sidney Green had 31 points, good effort from him, George Gervin 27 and 7 boards, and Charles Oakley increasingly asserting himself in the rotation had 17 points and 15 boards. For the Knicks, James Bailey, that's a name you'll hear a little bit in this episode, he had 24 points, Bob Thornton, Walker, Lewis Orr, Sparrow and Chris McNeely all had 10 points or more for the Knicks. Add Chris McNeely to the players I've never heard of before. Yeah. Only in research for this chat, I've actually heard his name. George Gervin's 27 points moved him into seventh all-time in scoring, and the Iceman rocked back in his chair post-game in the Bulls locker room and savoured the moment. Sid Green scored a career-high 31 points, and Charles Oakley broke a 20-year Bulls team record with nine offensive rebounds in the first half. Monster. Extraordinary. Green's disappointment from his failure in the previous game versus Atlanta was fuel for him to take it out on the Knickerbockers. He did a good job, and I've just said, oh, a good game there from Sid Green, but as you mentioned, it was his career high at that stage. In the locker room post-game, Gervin spoke of the 63 points, 53 of which came in the first half, that he scored on the final day of the 1977-78 regular season to beat David Skywalker Thompson for the scoring title. I said back then he was cooking, whereas <laughs> nowadays he was just sizzling. <laughs> nice work there from us. With Ewing, Bannister, King, Cartwright and Cummings all on the injured list for New York, their current starting five averaged a combined 49 points per game. At Los Angeles, the Nuggets held on for a 123-121 to win over the Clippers. Alex English scored 36 points and Mike Evans dropped 14 of his 24 in the last quarter. Fat Lever had 12 points and 13 assists. And for the Clippers, Benoit Benjamin. Big Ben had a big game with 27 points and 16 rebounds. Norm Nixon was unconscious with 25 points and 18 assists. And Marcus Johnson also added 25 points. In Seattle... The Lakers won their fifth game in a row and clinched a fifth straight Pacific Division title with a 108-106 to win. The 48-16 and Lakers were paced by Magic Johnson's 32 points and 9 assists. Seattle's main scoring punch was from Tom Chambers with 30 points and 10 rebounds. Otherwise known as Tommy C. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Another one of those silly things. <laughs> I probably won't live <laughs> down for probably the rest of this series and any remaining series we do. On the 10th, the Dallas Mavericks made history with a 116-115 to home win over the mighty Boston Celtics. It was the franchise's first victory against Boston ever. Wow. We should add, the Mavs' first season in the league was 1981. However, this was still a super win, and they dropped the Celtics to 50-13. and That's not to say that they had it all their own way. Larry Bird scorched them for 50 points, 11 rebounds, and 5 assists. And Boston had three players with 10 or more rebounds. Chief among them, Robert Parrish, was 16. In the game's final 16 seconds, two former podcast guests secured the Mavericks <laughs> win. Dale Ellis, episode 57, hit a clutch three-pointer. And Rolando Blackman, episode 70, added two free throws, finishing with 32 points in total. Larry Nance's 44 points, the equal second-best scoring game of his career, 
gave his sons enough breathing room to take a 120-109 to road win at Detroit. It also put a halt on the Pistons' 15-game Silver Dome winning streak. Kelly Japuka was the pick of the Pistons with 30 points, and Larry's career high would actually take place in the 1988 season when he dropped a lazy 45 points at Sacramento. Hashtag NB88. Another conference call was due for March 10th to assess the progress of Michael Jordan's foot. Jerry Reinsdorf commented that Dr. Hefferon's mind had changed since the last assessment and was probably going to give Jordan the green light to play. It had come to light that Jordan had been ignoring doctor's orders and was actually playing basketball in North Carolina late in his rehab. Jerry said that if MJ was going to be naughty and play, at least they can keep an eye on him if he returns to the court for the Bulls. He also denied reports that GM Jerry Krause's job was in jeopardy. <laughs> Who denied it? Jordan <laughs> or Reinsdorf? <laughs> um, speaking of North Carolina, mate, and his rehab, I've got a bit more information to add about that a little bit later in this episode. The word of the day on March 11, 1986 was Cybex. Hmm. Why Cybex, you ask? <laughs> Michael Jordan had easily passed the Cybex test, which measures the strength of muscle tissue around the break in his left foot. Another conference call for a final status check was scheduled on Wednesday, the 12th of March, with an expected return to the court the following Saturday at home versus Milwaukee. At last, an accurate ETA. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be right at one stage, didn't it? Physical therapist Judy Jaff said in the previous tests, MJ had a strength deficit of around 20% in the left foot compared to his right. Based on the strength in his muscles, Judy said he is ready to go after having worked so hard during his rehab that the strength in his left foot was now greater than his right. Awesome. I love this sort of information, mate. That was absolute gold. I love that stuff. You've read my mind and I've read yours. That's fantastic, that sort of stuff. And I did Note the word Cybex often around these dates as I was doing my research for the chat as well. So we're both on the right path there. Jordan says, it feels strong. If I can go up and down the court and take off from the free throw line, I think I'm ready. (laughs) Sources say that one criteria for passing the Cybex test for all patients was actually to take off and dunk from the foul line. (laughs) I couldn't believe that. I read this quote in another article from some other paper and I had to do a double take, and I think I even sent you a screenshot of the article where it said yeah. Jordan was taking off on the free throw line. I was stunned. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the last few weeks of recovery from a broken foot. Extreme recovery. <laughs> Jerry's Krause and Reinsdorf reserved judgment and said they prefer him to sit out the rest of the season. Krause added that if he plays, they want to bring him back slowly. Now, also on the 11th, in an article which was titled, It's the Thought That Counts in the Chicago Tribune, I'll just read this out. It's quite interesting. The punishment was symbolic, but the sting was real for Utah Jazz forward Adrian Dantley, coach and general manager Frank Layden, who sent Dantley back to Salt Lake City during Utah's weekend trip to Phoenix and Portland, fined him 30 dimes and said the dispute was over. Dantley, third in the NBA in scoring, said, I'm very concerned about the way my image was tarnished over the weekend. It's embarrassed my mother. It's embarrassed my wife. Layden also fined rookie Carl Malone two cents. I've never fined one of my players before. I think the significance of the fines is much greater, said Layden. A locker room argument Friday night in Phoenix allegedly triggered Layden's anger, and I've got a little bit more to add about that later on. The 
size of the fines, not so much the, the fines themselves, it really worked, didn't it? It really did. It definitely did. It's the thought that counts is the key part of that takeaway there because these guys were obviously uh, raked over the coals and had to get embarrassed, as Dantley was saying, and definitely it had the uh, required result, I would have thought. Apparently, Dantley and Layden were sparring on and off throughout this whole season, so uh, one day if there's ever a chance to get the great Adrian Dantley on the podcast, that'll be something that we'd uh, love to find out a bit more about if he's willing to open up. In the game day preview of that night's matchup versus the visiting New Jersey Nets, the Chicago Tribune printed that Jawan Oldham had surgery on his broken cheekbone the day prior and would miss the rest of the season. And Bulls assistant Murray Moccasin Arnold had a second interview for a coaching position at Florida State. I think you alluded to that in the previous episode of the series. So that night, New Jersey at Chicago in front of just 8,722 Saw the Bulls defeat the Nets 113 to 100. Chicago improved to 23 and 43. And this was Stan Albeck's 300th NBA win as a coach. So a good milestone there for the cruise ship captain. For the Bulls, Gene Maximum Security Banks on our further emails. <laughs> Check out a great conversation that I had recently with Michael Holton, who was on episode 72 of the show, dare I say, for a topic we chatted about where it was a Bulls promotional night featuring a poster where I get these nicknames from. Maximum Security Banks had 26 points, 8 rebounds and 9 assists. Charles Oakley, 12 points and 14 boards. And Orlando Woolridge, 22 points. And for New Jersey, Mike Jaminski had 19 points and 9 rebounds. And Buck Williams, 18 points and 15 rebounds. The 1986 Chicago Bulls minutia level was starting to get cranked up to the maximum at this point in time during the articles in the uh, the Tribune. There's heaps of really, really cool stuff that starts to to pop up. There is. Robin Banks turned back the clock to his days in the ACC with his 26-9-8 performance. Nets coach Dave Wall suggested the Bulls played an illegal college-type 2-3 zone defense all night long and was subsequently putting together the VHS tapes to send to the league offices. Seven kilo package turns up on the NBA's doorstep. (laughs) Orlando Woolridge showed some glimpses with 10 of his 22 points in the fourth quarter, and then spoke about himself in the third-person post-game in saying, I think Orlando Woolridge has grown up a lot. He has learned about life and priorities and responsibilities. That's awesome, Adam thinks. GM Jerry Krause also added that they plan to present O with a contract offer by the end of the week and that after speaking to Jordan pre-game, Michael would not be playing in the upcoming game on Thursday versus Denver and a presser would be held on that day to announce when and if MJ would return. Kevin Willis torched the Denver Nuggets for a career-high 39 points, dragging down 21 rebounds in the process as the hometown Atlanta Hawks had a 128-116 to win. Willis had a career-high 33 rebounds in February of 1992 in a game against the Washington Bullets. And we'll cover that one in NBA 92 as well, mate. I was going to say a 39.21 rebound game from Kevin Willis was a uh, 91-92 All-Star season kind of stat line for Kevin. And you're spot on, mate, because it happened in February of 1992. Hashtag Orlando. In Houston... The Celtics moved to 51 and 13 with their 116 to 104 win. And for those interested in bird watching, Larry went for 31 points, eight rebounds and 10 assists. Dennis Johnson and Kevin McHale had 25 points each. Bill Walton had 16 rebounds in just 25 minutes of game time. 
and Ralph Sampson had 23 points and 12 rebounds for the 40 and 25 Rockets in the absence of injured Akeem Olajuwon. Jim Peterson had a very solid game with 9 points and 12 boards. Now, a little side note here. Simeon and King met in the Chicago Public League Championship game on this date, and Simeon were led by senior Nallison Anderson, obviously better known as Nick Anderson, whilst one of King's best was another future NBAer, Marcus Liberty. The 28-1 King Jaguars upset, inverted commas, the 27-0 top-ranked Simeon Wolverines, 49-46. So a little bit of a side note there, mate. Worth mentioning, I would have thought. I enjoyed that. Uh, <laughs> that's good. On the 12th, the Wilmington Morning Star mentioned in an article about Jordan's impending return to the court that on February 20, on the campus of UNC, Jordan played, quote, more than two hours of full-court basketball, end quote. This, he claimed, was when he knew he was ready to return. He went on to say, quote, I started gradually. I took some free throws, then some shots. We got up a couple of two-on-two games, then three-on-three. Finally, one of the guys in the gym started a good five-on-five game, and I just got into it, end quote. Atlanta won its seventh straight game, 113-97 to at New Jersey. The human highlight film had 35 points for the Hawks. Winners of 11 of its last 12 contests and Calvin Rancy led New Jersey with 21 points. Rolando Blackman's career-high 46 points were not enough as his Dallas Mavericks dropped a 127-120 to overtime decision against the visiting Sacramento Kings. For the Kings, ex-Bull Reggie Theus had a superb game with 32 points on 10 of 17 field goals and 12 of 12 free throws. Along with that, he had 14 boards, 15 assists and 2 steals. Incredible stuff there. And Eddie Johnson, former guest and friend of the show, episode 41, had 31 points and 10 rebounds. In more news on this day, Purvis Short had 39 points as his Golden State Warriors defeated the Utah Jazz 118-111 to at Salt Lake City. Adrian Dantley led the Jazz with 30 points. And interestingly, I read in the Milwaukee Sentinels archives that the Jazz fans were, quote, decidedly pro-Dantley. The All-Star forward was given a long ovation with many of the fans rising from their seats. Layden, who this week fined Dantley 30 dimes, was booed, end quote. Wow. I read in a separate article in the Wilmington Morning Star where Dantley said that his, quote, attempt to break up a shouting match between Utah Jazz coach Frank Layden and another player, end quote, was the impetus behind Dantley being sent home and subsequently fined. Frank Layden would have heard the boos turned around, went back to the bench and had a hot dog and a beer. <laughs> He was fantastic. What a great personality of the NBA he was, especially in the uh, 80s, of course, and then went on to be co-host of the Dazzling Dunks and Basketball Bloopers, where he was absolute comedy gold with another great Marv Albert. Hashtag Francois Layden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a segue from Layden. <laughs> so good, so good. Now, Derek Smith of the LA Clippers was shelved for the rest of the season due to continued knee issues. He hadn't played a game for the Clips since Christmas Day of 85 at Portland. He wouldn't suit up again with LA as he was traded by the Clippers to Sacramento in August of 1986. On March 13, the headline said it all. Jordan to return. We're finally here. (laughs) Finally here. The smile on MJ's face said it all. A conference call among the Bulls brass the previous night at 11.30pm spoke of the pros and cons and nikes of Jordan returning this season. (laughs) 
after doing all he could to talk Jordan out of returning. Owner Jerry Reinsdorf said the decision was left to Jordan himself, suggesting that the green light had been given by the medical staff behind the scenes. Reinsdorf also added that owners and coaches around the league couldn't believe the Bulls were bringing Jordan back this season and that if he said no to Jordan, that he would just go down to North Carolina and play anyway. (laughs) That's fair enough. This way they could control the amount that he played. Jordan said he liked the lack of eyes on him when he was playing four times per week in Carolina and (laughs) said that anyone who thought he was foolish for playing hadn't experienced the game of basketball like he had. He loved it like a wife or girl. Wow, that's some great stuff there. Awesome. Jerry Krause stated they would start out with him playing seven minutes per half. Now, if you refer back to episode 47 of the podcast, I had a great chat with a good friend, Ross Franco, and his great friend, David Bridges, who is a childhood friend and still friends to this day with one Michael Jeffrey Jordan. So listen to that episode for some more context on Jordan's return from injury during this 1986 era we're chatting about. I don't know how you feel, but I get a real kick out of knowing what my six degrees of separation is to the great man himself. Oh, so do I, mate. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. It's so cool. <laughs> There's nothing better. Yeah. Um. You mentioned a headline before, mate. Speaking of headlines, I read a great tidbit in this day's news, notes, and nonsense of the Chicago Tribune, and it says, how did the Atlanta Hawks' Anthony Jerome Webb get the nickname Spud? Now, first, do you actually know how he got his nickname, mate? Uh, There is a chance that I have read or seen this at some point in time. If I have, I cannot remember. Okay. I'll finish the puzzle by saying, and finally... How did the Atlanta Hawks' Anthony Jerome Webb get the nickname Spud? When he was a baby, someone thought his head looked like a spaceship, which became Sputnik, which, through the magic of childhood babble, became Spud. And, would you believe, his older brother David is nicknamed Bean. Yep, seems at birth his head resembled that vegetable. So, not sure what to make of that, but that's apparently the origins of Spud Webb's nickname, a.k.a. Sputnik. I can confirm that, no, I have not heard that before. <laughs> I didn't even know whether to include that in the episode, but it's a pretty cool little tidbit, so we might as well include it. Minutia lovers unite. Oh, that's right. Hashtag minutia lovers <laughs> unite. <laughs> now, that same day, Denver at Chicago in front of another lowly crowd, 8,649, and they were in for a little bit of a treat, and I'm sure you'll get to this in a minute, mate, even though Jordan wasn't returning officially on this night. The Bulls defeated the Nuggets 112-102, to so a fair upset there given Denver were rollicking throughout the Western Conference at this stage. The Bulls improved 24-43, and averaging 29.6 points per game. Alex English entered the game as the NBA's leading scorer. This was only the Bulls' third three-game win streak since MJ was injured. For Chicago, Sid Green had 28 points and 10 rebounds. Orlando Warriors 23 points and 8 boards, and Charles Oakley... 19 points and 14 rebounds. For Denver, Calvin Natt had 21 points. Bill Hanslick, 14 points, 6 rebounds and 8 assists. And hashtag Fat Lever Watch, 6 points, 6 rebounds and 8 assists. First of all, it must be said that with his increase in, in playing time, that Charles Oakley was playing all-star basketball at this point in time of the season. Indeed he was, indeed he was. All of a sudden, making the playoffs was more than wishful thinking, wrote Bob Sakamoto, as the Bulls' third straight win pulled them to within two games of the eighth playoff seed in the East. Rookie Charles Oakley even proclaimed they were going to make the postseason. 
Some strong stat lines from Green, Woolridge and Oakley never let the Nuggets any closer than seven points in the fourth quarter as Chicago led the entire second half. O backed up his strong game versus New Jersey with 13 points in the fourth. I mentioned before about this 15-day block being a minutia goldmine. Air Jordan actually suited up and participated in pre-game warm-ups, saying that he wanted to get the feel of the ball. That is incredible. As I just mentioned, one of the cooler tidbits I've learned in the series. That is absolutely fantastic. And when you first found this out, you immediately reached out online. I don't know, was it Facebook or Twitter or something? A Facebook chat. Yeah, you reached out and informed me of this, and I was beside myself for about the next 30 minutes. Uh, sad stuff. Absolutely incredible. It is. I don't even know what to say. That's just so cool. Mm. At San Antonio, Boston cruised to a 135-119 to 119 win, advancing to 52-13 and 13 in the process. Larry Bird had 33 points and 11 boards, whilst Mikhail, Parrish, Dennis Johnson and Danny Ainge all scored 10-plus points. The 31-36 Spurs were led by Mike Mitchell's 30 points, and Jeff Lamp was also a scoring spark with 25 points in only 28 minutes, and that was his career high, 25 points. Now, a basketball game broke out at the Great Western <laughs> Forum with the Lakers' 105-92 to win over Seattle. In the night's main event, the Supersonics' Tom Chambers and LA's Maurice Lucas were ejected for fighting. So I reckon the Sonics would have had to have set all kinds of records in this season for the most ejections between Xavier McDaniel and Tom Chambers. They were running roughshod across the <laughs> league, taking on all comers. Otherwise known as Tommy C and XEM. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, goodness. Um, on the 14th of March, having not played since March the 6th, Patrick Ewing's rookie season was officially over after surgery on his ailing right knee. This after seeking a fourth opinion from specialists across multiple pro sports. Ewing played 50 games, averaging exactly 20 points, 9 rebounds and 2 assists per contest. Dominique Wilkins's 42 points were overcome by the well-rounded scoring punch of the visiting Boston Celtics. Larry Bird led the Celtics with 26 points, 9 rebounds and 7 assists, whilst Kevin McHale had 24 points and 12 rebounds. Parrish, Walton, Ainge and DJ all had 11 or more points for 53 and 13 Boston. Five other Hawks players had between 10 and 14 points. However, the Celtics outscored the Hawks 32-19 in the final quarter of the 121-114 victory. Clyde Drexler scored a then-career high of 41 points in his Blazers' 129-118 loss at Dallas and Adrian Dantley's would-be season high of 47 points paced his Jazz to a 146-121 shellacking over the travelling San Antonio Spurs. The Jazz's Mark Eaton, episode 49 of the show, hit all the right notes with 7 points, 12 rebounds and 8 blocks. Thanks for coming. And the Rockets' John Lucas was waived by Houston on this date after failing a drug test. He entered a treatment facility and he would go on to sign as a free agent with the Milwaukee Bucks in January of 1987 retiring during the 1990 season at age 36 as a member of the Houston Rockets. On March 15th, the big story of the day was the potential conspiracy of the Bulls waving Tony Brown and signing close friend of Michael Jordan, Rod Higgins. Oh, and the return from injury was also a decent story too, I suppose. <laughs> 5,000 tickets remained for the game that would herald the return of Michael Jordan from 64 games on the sidelines with a broken foot sustained on October 29th. 
MJ was greeted with the day prior to his return and his best friend in basketball, Rod Higgins, at the Deerfield Multiplex. Higgins was expected to sign at least two 10-day contracts, depending on the return of sender Dave Corzine from his broken hand. Jordan said that Jerry's Krause and Reinsdorf wouldn't be at his return game against Milwaukee because they said they would probably die watching Jordan play on his healed left foot. <laughs> I love that. When asked about how soon he would use Jordan, Mounts at Allback replied with a laugh in warm-ups. <laughs> <laughs> well, he even used him in warm-ups the game prior, uh, we've now learned. Uh, so much cool information. And isn't it awesome that they coincidentally sign Rod Higgins to a couple of <laughs> 10 days, just as a little bit of a make-good for Jordan as well, as he comes back from the four-and-a-half or thereabout month layoff. Do you love to know if there was any... Ulterior motive to re-signing Rod Higgins for a couple of 10-day contracts, wouldn't you? Very interesting. Now, that night, Milwaukee at Chicago, 15,208 fans. Wasn't a sellout, surprisingly. Milwaukee defeated Chicago 125-116 to in overtime. The Bulls dropped 24-44 and on the season. For Chicago, Charles Oakley was a man possessed and then some. 35 points and 26 rebounds, 18 of which were on the offensive glass. Not to mention seven assists, three steals, and a block. Sydney Green, 24 points and nine rebounds. And Jordan, 12 points, one rebound, two assists, and one steal in his first game back. Milwaukee, Terry Cummings, former podcast guest, episode 17 of the show, had 34 points and nine rebounds. And Sid the Squid Moncrief, 27 points and 12 assists. Now, 10 of the Bulls' final 14 regular season games were going to be on the road. Oakley's 35 points was a career high, and the 26 rebound effort was the second best output of his career. In 1988, he corralled an incredible 35 rebounds versus Cleveland, where, of course, he attended high school. That was towards the end of the 87-88 season, I believe, yeah? Yeah, I think it was. They speak about the scoring duel between David Thompson and George Gervin in the 1978 season, but it's been highlighted on an early 90s NBA action, hello Todd if you're listening, uh, that <laughs> there was a rebounding duel down to the end of the 87-88 season in between Oakley and Michael Cage. Love that sort of stuff, mate. The performance by rookie Charles Oakley was almost enough to override the return of the Bulls franchise. Oakley's 35-26-7 game had the Iceman declaring that he would one day have a 30-30 and game. Oakley's 26 rebounds and 18 offensive, which just blows me away every time I read it, were both highs for the NBA in the 85-86 season. As a rookie, no less. Oh. And what was he, 6'9"? Dragging down... Tw- dragon. Dragging down... Talk about Australian slang. Dragging <laughs> down 26 rebounds. And built like a brick shizen. <laughs> he was. He definitely was. Oh, I'd love to have him on my team if I was playing in the NBA. Note, I didn't even get out of my local recreational league. <laughs> in another comeback of sorts, the number one pick of the 1984 NBA draft, Akeem Abdul Olajuwon, returned to the court after missing a month, and that was 14 games worth, due to injury. He was one of nine players to score 10 or more points in a 148 to 116 demolition job on the visiting LA Clippers. All 12 players on the Rockets roster scored and played at least 10 minutes of game time. Mm. Houston were 42-25 and 25 on the season. Jim Peterson hit for 19 points, a then-career high. His career high would be 28 points at Sacramento, 
in the 1987 season. I think he actually went on to play with the Kings about two seasons later. Minutia lovers unite. On the 16th of March, I read a quote from Oakley in one of the papers. I can't remember which one it was, but I've just got here, quote, it got me a little more hyped up with Michael coming back. Playing with him is like playing with a legend. Fair call. Michael Jordan kept his word to balls management and only playing five minutes and 59 seconds in the second term and six minutes and 48 seconds in the fourth, despite saying he wanted to break his word by playing in the overtime period and said he planned to speak to management about increasing his game time to 10 minutes a half versus Atlanta two days later. Bucks coach Don Nelson said he jokingly told Stanley Allbeck several times that Jordan's seven minutes per half were up to get him off the court. <laughs> also, that it was nice to have a Jordan back playing on the court. On a very cool side note, Bulls ticket manager Joe O'Neill told Charles Oakley that he would give him two tickets for the next home game for every offensive rebound he got in this game. <laughs> the 36 tickets that O'Neill now owed Oak Bless him saying that he owed Charles the entire mezzanine level. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your joke at the end, or that's actually what was said in the little bit you read? That's actually what he said, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Also, about that Don Nelson comment, somewhere in my notes, I was going to be reading that out as well, because I saw that quote, I think, in one of the Milwaukee papers, about how he's telling Albeck that he'd already reached his seven minutes. (laughs) Uh, Funny stuff. And... um, One other thing, I had no idea until just now, because I don't read your notes in advance, Jordan did not play in the overtime session. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I know it's his first game back. You want to be careful with his minutes, but boy, he would have been seething, wouldn't he, on the bench, just watching this? It was an agreed-upon thing between Jordan and Bulls management that he'd only play seven minutes per half. So he did the right thing, I guess, by keeping his word in saying that he wouldn't play any more than, than seven minutes, but... Jordan would be looking to increase his uh, his playing time pretty much immediately after this game. I mean, we know the competitive freak of nature that he is and was during this time particularly, but it must have been absolutely killing him that he couldn't get back on the court. Uh, moving on, moving on. At home, Boston routed Philadelphia 118-101. to Bird was flying with 36 points, 14 rebounds, <laughs> 6 assists and 3 steals. The Celtics improved to 54 and 13 on the year, and for the 43 and 25 Philadelphia 76ers, Moses played his part with 18 points and 10 rebounds. Sadale 3, episode 12, was the next best in the scoring column with 14. Now, in an interesting tidbit from this game, Larry was incensed following a no call from one of the refs. Ed was quick to rush in with a T. Now, think about that one for a minute. In the following offseason, Apparently, Larry reached out to computer companies, Commodore, Apple, and even Amiga in the hopes of releasing a new strategy game on the market. Angry Bird was its working title. It was not. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolute drivel on my behalf. Apparently, though, he was incensed from the tech foul call, and I went to thegreatbasketballreference.com, had a look at the box scores for the game, and Ed T. Rush was one of the officials, so I had to work that one in there. Nice. But... The final bit about Bird trying to create some new software for some computers didn't actually happen. That's actually very good. Well done. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, probably edit all that out. <laughs> In a Cavalier move, George Carl was fired as Cleveland coach. He led the team to a 25-42 and 42 mark. Don't forget, at the end of the NB85 series, in terms of the regular season, the Cavaliers players were carrying George Carl atop their shoulders around the court when they actually made it to the playoffs. 
how things change so quickly. Yeah, the 85 Cleveland Cavaliers had one of the great turnarounds from the start of a season to the other finish of a season that I've ever heard of. They started off absolutely putridly and then finished off the season on a roll. Oh, no doubt. So quickly things had changed. It is the NBA, of course. Mm. He was replaced by Gene Littles, who steered the Cavs to a 4-11 and finish, and they went 29-53 and overall, and they missed the playoffs. In the LA Lakers 116 to 111 win versus the visiting Rockets of Houston, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar amassed 43 points in 40 minutes. Magic was just that, recording his third trip dip of the season. 19 points, 12 rebounds and 12 assists. Houston's Ralph Sampson had 27 points and 16 rebounds. Elijah on 21 points and 10 rebounds. On March 17, rarely has a 24-43 and 43 team attracted so much anticipation as this Chicago team that chases down a Cleveland team for the right to be eliminated by a Boston team, wrote <laughs> Bob Verde. And never before had Stan Albeck evoked so much of a stir as he rises from his chair to send a substitute into a game. And the obvious tiz of anticipation caused Albeck to wear black shoes with brown pants, apparently a fashion faux pas, according to Bobby. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Then some Bob Verde gold followed. Now, stick with me on this one. Okay. Rarely has one athlete prompted a standing ovation by merely removing his warm-ups. There isn't a stripper on the planet who could prompt 15,208 spectators to clap and scream and bark a woof-woof call like hungry dogs. (laughs) At first, I didn't know what to do. Bob Verde actually said, lied, Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) In an era where coaches like Orbeck needed lassos and tractors to extract effort and minutes from players, here you had Jordan scratching to play the last few minutes of a tight first half and squirming to partake in the overtime period after 64 games on the sidelines, which would normally cause athletes to err on the side of caution and sit the rest of the season out. That is gold. I'm glad that we went there, mate. And Bob Verdi, take a bow. Um, so we had Angry Bird. Now you've mentioned Hungry Dogs. Getting a bit of a theme going on in this episode. <laughs> now, Chicago at Atlanta in front of just 9,812 people saw the Hawks defeat the Bulls 106 to 96. Chicago dropped to 24 and 45. For Chicago, Oakley had 20 points and 15 rebounds. Jordan had 17 points and 7 steals. It's crazy. Gene Banks and Sidney Green had 11 points and 10 points respectively. For Atlanta, Dominique, 29 points and 13 boards. Randy Whitman, 19 points. And Spud slash Sputnik Webb had 7 points <laughs> and 10 assists. The 43 and 26 Hawks had now won 13 of their previous 15 games, so they were on fire. And Mike Fratello, coach of the Hawks, is a former podcast guest. Shameless self-promotion continues. Episode 32 of the show. Mike Fratello had nothing to do with that sentence whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I had to work it in. The clock ticking away in Michael Jordan's head was a distraction that had Jordan worrying more about his playing time than the game itself, wrote Bob Sakamoto. His disappearance from a game was never more untimely than it was against the Atlanta Hawks. Just as it appeared as though the ball's time was coming, Jordan's time was up. 
Michael said that he may have to fight Kraus to get more playing time after his <laughs> three for six shooting and five steals in the fourth quarter alone set a team record. That's remarkable. And also, it must have been this same article. I'm pretty sure Sack referred to Jordan as Time Jordan. Was that the same article? Yes. At New York, Herb Williams went for a career-high 40 points to go along with 14 rebounds, five assists, and three blocks as his Indiana Pacers thumped the Knicks 112-92. to New York's James Bailey had a terrific game with 21 points and 16 rebounds. Ricky Green celebrated St. Patrick's Day in fine form. His late-game heroics helped the Jazz tune out the Detroit Pistons 107-106 to in Utah. Adrian Dantley had 25 points for the Jazz. The mailman delivered 17 points and 10 rebounds, and John Stockton had 10 points and 13 assists. Isaiah Thomas had 32 points and 11 assists, and Bill Lane Beer was a monster, 26 points and 21 rebounds. Mark Eaton rejected a Zeke shot attempt, one of his six blocks, to go along with 10 points and 15 rebounds. The shot rebounded to Trapuca. His jumper at the buzzer bounced off the rim. Utah won. March 18, Michael Jordan said that he was ready for more time and that he should be able to determine his own playing time and that the organization didn't have the heart to see him play 20 minutes. Undoubtedly a ploy to pressure the team into giving him the playing time that he wanted. Krauss said that he and Jerry Reinsdorf thought they knew what was better for the organization and ignored Dr. Heffern's suggestion of 10 minutes per half for the seven per half that was eventually agreed upon with Michael himself. Jordan said he was trying to do so much in the little time that he had on court that he had started taking shots that weren't in the best interest of the team. MJ went 4 for 16 against Atlanta, which was a nice handball to the Bulls management for his poor shooting night. (laughs) The Bulls shot 37% overall in the game. The Hawks ran off a 19-4 run at the start of the third term before Jordan used up five of his valuable minutes getting the Bulls back into the game. Hawks coach Mike Fratello took his hat off to Stanley Allback for having a player of MJ's caliber sitting on the bench in a close game whilst adhering to management's minutes restriction. George Gervin overslept and missed the team flight to Atlanta before arriving 30 minutes before the tip. Oh, he would have got an icy reception. Very. Good point there from Mike Fratello, though. Yeah. Uh, to have Jordan sitting on the bench, well, you know... You could put him back on the court and have the team come back and probably win the game. Big call, but probably the right call still. In an article titled, Jordan feels like new man after NBA return, in the March 18 edition of the Wilmington Morning Star, MJ said, quote, My goal in coming back will not be fulfilled until we make the playoffs. End quote. Larry Bird doused the Cavaliers with 43 points in just 29 minutes at Hartford, Connecticut, in the Celtics' home away from home victory. He connected on five of six shots from beyond the arc. Kevin McHale and Scott Wedman were the next best Boston scorers with 13 points each. World B Free had 26 points for the Cavaliers. In Dallas's 120-113 win over the visiting San Antonio Spurs, Dale Allis, episode 57, not to be outdone by fellow three-point gun Larry Bird, hit six of his seven long-range bombs on his way to a team-leading 28 points. Alice joined Norm Nixon as the only players in the NBA to hit six three-pointers in a game in this 1986 season to that point. Quite remarkable, given we're talking about mid-March. 
Mike Mitchell had 37 points for the Spurs, and former Bull, Steve Johnson, had 26 points and 14 rebounds. So a great game from him. On March 19, the moment Michael Jordan stepped foot into the city of brotherly love, Sixers GM Pat Williams broke out in a smile. Not only does Jordan's presence make Philly's job a little harder come game time, but it also means that the turnstiles at the Spectrum would be clicking over. Williams explained that Jordan's presence the year before equaled an extra 5,000 seats filled, and Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf estimated a $1.5 million loss on ticket sales during Jordan's 64-game absence this season. Wow, that's huge. In 1986 figures, $1.5 million. It's a lot of cash. It's a lot of cash. Other teams around the NBA had also reported a similar drop-off in ticket sales when Chicago came to town. The Bulls sent PR man Tim Hallam for the Bulls' four-game road trip to help coordinate the media crush. Awesome. I love this sort of info. Coach Albeck said there aren't too many times a player's agent, team management, and the medical staff tell him to sit out, only to have that player tell him to go to hell and that he wants to play. Stanley then added of Jordan that he's getting stronger. Wow. Negotiations continued as the Bulls try to re-sign Orlando Woolridge before he becomes a free agent at season's end. Geno Banks was also looking for a multi-year deal as he enters his prime years and free agents Juwan Oldham and George Gervin would most likely have their contracts looked at after the season had finished. There's so much good information here and I'm so glad I just don't read your notes because when I hear this, I'm reacting as a fan or listener would. So it's just awesome, mate. Awesome. Expected it in the tribunes towards the end of the season to read a bit about the upcoming player turnover. Yeah, and that's what you're reading here about Gervin and Oldham and, and Woolridge and whatnot. It appeared as though it was on track for Woolridge to re-sign, but I think that the uh, dollar figures ended up being a, a sticking point. There was a bit of a gap in between Bulls management and Orlando's people, as I'm sure that we're probably going to read at some point in time. Mm. Look forward to hearing that as well. The Washington Bullets decided that the shoe no longer fit, firing Gene as head coach. The Bullets replaced him with a guy he once coached when the franchise was in Baltimore, Kevin Lockery. Mr. Lockery was most recently Chicago's head coach for the 1985 NBA season. Kevin would coach the Bullets through the first 27 games of the 87-88 campaign. And moving on, Boston took care of the visitors from Indiana, 127-108. to Herb Williams continued his great form with 24 points and 10 rebounds. And for the 56 and 13 Boston, Robert Parrish had 28 points and 17 boards. Mikhail, Ainge and Bird had 21 or more points. Before we started the NB85 series, one guy that I didn't realize was as good as what he actually was back in the 80s was Herb Williams, mate. Yeah, he's come on strong in this season, hasn't he? Yeah. He has some absolute blinders. Yeah. Great scoring ability. And obviously brought down a lot of boards as well, but he was mostly known in the mid to latter part of his career as more of a defensive guy and uh, didn't score a whole lot, but could clearly shoot the ball. I think he was from Ohio State, so he was a good scorer back in Ohio State days, I think, too. Mm. That evening, Chicago at Philadelphia in front of 9,343, so very poor crowd, saw the Sixers win 118 to 112, and the Bulls dropped to 24 and 46. For Chicago, Iceman had 20 points, Sid Green, 18 points and 9 rebounds, and Charles Oakley, 10 points and 11 rebounds. For Philadelphia, Irving, 
Dr. J and Moses had 29 points. Mo Cheeks had 20 points and 13 assists. And Sir Charles, 19 points and 15 rebounds. The headline said it all. Sixes run down bulls, lead lost as Jordan sits. Oh, goodness. That's, that's got to hurt. Post-game, Jordan met with GM Jerry Krause to express his unhappiness as MJ's minutes limit had him riding the pine down the stretch of a game that the Bulls could very well have won. Jordan sat with seven minutes to go and Chicago holding a one-point lead before Orbeck benched him to preserve some of his minutes for the end of the game. When he returned with 2.51 remaining, Philly had a five-point lead that the Bulls wouldn't erase. Philly held a record of 4-21 and 21 on going into fourth quarters trailing and were down by one going into the fourth in this one, showing that the Bulls definitely had a shot to win. Foul trouble for Bulls big men Oakley and Smrek meant Allback had to go with Orlando Woolridge on Moses Malone down the stretch. That's never going to end well. After playing reasonably successfully with a slower pace in recent times, the Bulls were having to adjust to a faster pace in trying to get Jordan out in the open court. The Sixers had now won six of their last seven games as well, so they were in fine form. Would have been a great victory for Chicago had they got over the line. In a great win for the franchise, the LA Clippers defeated the Lakers 115-114 to at the LA Sports Arena. Thanks to Benoit Benjamin's block on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's would-be game-winning shot with four seconds left. Big Ben also scored 27 points and had 14 rebounds. His game-saving swat was one of his five for the night, and the victory snapped the 52-17 and Lakers' nine-game win streak. Big Ben, the Clippers' rookie, was on song in recent games. This was the equal second highest-scoring game of his season. He had a season-high 28 points in a 21-point loss to the Lakers, Eight days earlier. Abdul-Jabbar was the Kareem of the scoring crop for the Lakers with 34 points. Lovely. The following day, Jerry Krause said that he felt fear that Jordan would re-injure his foot and said that he shouldn't be playing. Krause was also asked by the press for a reaction to Lockery's hiring in Washington, to which he said, My only reaction is we don't have to pay him anymore. <laughs> as Kevin Lockery was getting $250,000 from the Bulls in the last year of his three-year deal. Wow. That's uh, another great little bit of info there. There were four games played on this date, the 20th of March. However, nothing was overly noteworthy, mate, so I'll move straight on to the 21st. After gracing the cover of Sports Illustrated as the greatest player of all time, Larry Bird went out and averaged 37 points, 10 rebounds and 6 assists whilst shooting 65% from the floor, thus defying the dreaded Sports Illustrated jinx. Even more amazingly, he had shot 75% on threes in that six-game stretch, including 11 straight makes, and had games of 50 versus Dallas and 43... This is points, not threes. Had games of (laughs) 50 points versus Dallas and 43 points versus Cleveland, including 34 at the half. Known not to speak after home games... Bob Ryan provided some insight that Bird was just happy to be healthy after suffering through back issues right back to training camp. A happy bird is definitely better than an angry bird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Teammate Kevin McAngel said that Larry is so good that he often gets bored on court. In an easy win versus Indiana, Bird was passing up easy shots to, and I quote, Drive the lane, draw three guys, and see what happens, in the words of Kevin McHale. <laughs> Isn't it fantastic that he's just treating the regular season with, 
I won't say near disdain, but I just did say it. Um, to be able to do this, to motivate himself to doing all those sort of things. And for some more information on the aforementioned dreaded Sports Illustrated Jinx, hop on Google. <laughs> Fair point. I like the reach back into the NB85 Kevin McAngel mm. comment too, mate. So a bit of a throwback slash inside joke there. The Chicago Tribune's news, notes, and nonsense reported on an upcoming event where Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing would be socialising. It was the opening of the Volvo Tennis Tournament at the UIC Pavilion. MJ and Patrick were clients of the aptly named ProServe, who also managed tennis stars Ivan Lendl and Jimmy Connors. Chicago at Boston on the night of the 21st saw the Celtics defeat the Bulls easily, 126-105. to Chicago dropped to 24-47. and For Chicago... Warridge had 24 points and 10 rebounds. George Gervin and Michael Jordan had 20 points. Charles Oakley, 8 points and 11 rebounds. For Boston, Larry Bird had 32 points, 6 rebounds and 8 assists. Kevin McHale, 22 points and Dennis Johnson, 21. Now, no Celtics played more than 32 minutes in this game. Their record moved to 57 and 13 and they clinched the Atlantic Division title. The Tribune's Bob Sakamoto was already a legend in my eyes, yet he went up another notch by dubbing Bird, McHale, Parrish, DJ and Ainge the Slaughterhouse Five (laughs) (laughs) in the wake of that demolition job at the hands of Boston. After three straight encouraging performances, Michael Jordan was starting to turn the screws on Bulls management and all Jerry Reinsdorf could do was wince and capitulate little by little, wrote Bob Sakamoto. Reinsdorf said in his heart he wants to turn Jordan loose, but his head tells him not to. He added that Jordan was upset with GM Jerry Krause, but it was him who was holding Jordan back. Michael's feelings also had to be considered in this, and he was afraid that they were just going to have to give him more playing time. Jordan had even questioned how much the Bulls wanted to make the playoffs, but Jerry Reinsdorf added that there wasn't a marquee center in the upcoming draft, and they had no need to be in the lottery. (laughs) Hello to Brad Doherty, if you're listening. (laughs) I was just about to say... That's a slap in the face to Brad Doherty. Goodness me. Another reason Reinsdorf wanted to increase MJ's minutes was that he was over-asserting himself in the limited minutes he was playing and disrupting the cohesion the team had before he returned. I can see where they're coming from there. Visiting New York, Akeem Olajuwon dropped a 33-point, 23-rebound, 7-steal and 4-block effort on the hapless Knicks. Houston improved to 44 and 27 on the season, whilst the Knicks were 22 and 50 with the loss. Lewis Lloyd also provided scoring punch with 28 points for Houston. For the hometown Knicks, Ken, the staircase banister, stepped up with 18 points. Chicago at Cleveland, we're talking about the 22nd here, in front of 10,091 fans, saw the Cavaliers absolutely decimate the Bulls, 123 to 97. Terrible loss. The Bulls dropped to 24 and 48. For Chicago, Gervin had 20 points, Oakley 19 points and 18 rebounds, another great game. Orlando had 18 points and Maximum Security Banks had 14. Jordan had just 8 points. For Cleveland, World B3 went for 38. Roy Hinson had 28 points and Dirk Minifield had 9 points and 16 assists. That's a great effort there from Dirk. This was the only time in Jordan's Bulls career where he scored single digits. Every other game, regular season and or playoffs, he had 10 or more points. So quite a staggering statistic there. Now, this was the third time that the Bulls had a streak of five or more losses in this 1986 season. 
This was the Bulls' fifth straight loss since Jordan returned. Remarkable details all around here. Speaking of losses, the Cavs entered this game the losers of six games in a row. That seemed to matter little to Gene, who guided the <laughs> Cleveland Cavaliers back into the winner's column. <laughs> I do what I can. It was one thing to get blown out by the Celtics, but it was another to get blown away by a team who had just fired its head coach and was on the tail end of a six-game losing streak, wrote Bob Sakamoto. Lost number 48, dropped the Bulls two and a half games behind the Cavs for the last playoff spot. The Bulls led 54-50 to at the half, but were then outscored 73-43 in the second half by the Cleveland Cavaliers, punctuated by Wellbe Free intentionally stepping back behind the three-point line and drilling a shot in front of the Bulls bench long after the game was decided, or as the sack described, an in-your-face disgrace moved by Free. <laughs> How good is that? When I was scanning through the Tribune without trying to read the article, I did see that. That was fantastic. Moving on, other games in the association. San Antonio Spurs' Wes Matthews, former Chicago Bull, hashtag NB85, enjoyed the third-best single-scoring game of his career with 29 points, even though his Spurs fell 107-104 to to the visitors from Seattle. Wild Wild Wes would drop 30 points on the Lakers twice in LA's three-zip sweep of San Antonio in the upcoming playoffs. Wow. At home, Joe Barry Carroll hit an unlikely 21-footer at the buzzer, lifting his Golden State Warriors to a 113-111 win over Denver. The Nuggets were up 13, heading into the final quarter. JBC had 31 points for the game, but only scored two in the last. Fortunately, the most important two. Larry Smith, the incredibly nicknamed Mr. Mean, had six points, but dragged down 23 rebounds, 16 of which were offensive, for the 40th time this season, Alex English went for at least 30 points, and eight of which were 40-plus games. So he was an absolute monster in the scoring column. Fantastic player. Speaking of fantastic players, the players of the week. For March 9, Magic Johnson of the LA Lakers had 26.4 points, 5.2 rebounds, and 12.8 assists per game as the Lakers went five and zip. March 16, Larry Bird of Boston had 35.2 points, 10.6 boards and 6.4 assists per game as the Celtics went 4-1. and And on March 23, Adrian Dantley for Utah had 30 points, 5 rebounds and 5.5 assists per game as the Jazz went 3-1. and Finally, wrapping things up, the individual highs. Points, Larry Bird had 50 points at Dallas on the 10th of March. Rebounds. Charles Oakley had 26 boards versus Milwaukee on the 15th of March. The assists, 18, tied. Norm Nixon, I mentioned earlier, on the 9th of March versus Denver, he had 18. And Reggie Theus of Sacramento also dialed up 18 versus San Antonio on the 11th of March. However, we didn't cover that game at the time. The NBA standing through March 23rd. The division leaders in the Atlantic, Boston were 57 and 13. In the Central, Milwaukee were 49 and 22. In the Midwest, Houston were 44 and 27. And in the Pacific, the Lakers were 54 and 17. The Bulls were 24 and 48. They went 3 and 5 during this period of time. Only two games ahead of New York, who were 22 and 50. So there you go, mate. That brings us to the end of episode 12. Thanks again for being a part of the show, as always. Anything you'd like to add, mate, before we do put a bow on this episode? It's an unconfirmed report that Adam and Aaron were at a loss to conclude this episode. Thankfully. MJ's back on court. I was tired of carrying this series by myself. Giddy up. 
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show. Saw the Bulls defeat Chicago in Jordan's comeback, 125 to 116 Stop. in overtime. Stop. The Bulls Stop. improved. Stop. Hang on. No. What? Okay. You just said it. Okay. The Bulls defeated Chicago. <laughs> I can't read English. Um, Milwaukee should. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame we don't have like a bloopers reel. We could add this to at the end of an episode. Um, Milwaukee. <laughs> Far out. <clears throat> After the meeting, Jerry Krause said, <clears throat> Bloody hell. Did he say that? Yeah. He even said bloody hell. Yeah. Wow. Bloody hell, which is you know, extraordinary for an, extraordinary. an American. That's right.